0: Hey friends, welcome to the Jesus Collective podcast. My name's Matt. We're so glad you're tracking with us. Jesus Collective is a new relational network of churches and leaders with a vision to unite, amplify, and equip this Jesus-centered movement that God is raising up all over the place. During this pilot season, we're experimenting with different ways to build relationships with people in this movement, to put language to what Jesus-centered means, and to have meaningful and honest equipping conversations about the issues and opportunities facing our churches in this increasingly post-Christian context we find ourselves in. So, this podcast is one of those tools. You might find a number of different types of conversation formats shared here, and we hope you find it meaningful and engaging. You can learn more about us, join our mailing list, find information about upcoming online and in-person events, all that good stuff, at our microsite at jesuscollective.com, or you can find us on social media. And hey, we love hearing feedback and ideas and just meeting new jesus people. So, you can always reach out by email at connect at jesuscollective.com. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's get on with the podcast.
1: So We want to start just by welcoming everyone. That's important to do. Some of you are new and joining us for the first time. Some of you we've seen before and we're starting to call you good friends. Uh, Whether you're here live or listening to the podcast online, it's just great to have you with us. We want to create a space that's really relational and welcoming and hope that you feel that. Uh, If you're new, my name is Matt Miles. I have the privilege of giving point leadership to Jesus Collective in these early days, alongside and with a great team of partners. You're going to meet a few of those people today, and some that are also just working behind the scenes. Um, Just some quick context, maybe to help you get your bearings if you're new around who Jesus Collective is, and just to situate our experience that we're going to have together today. It's always good for us, especially as an embryonic new network, to ground ourselves in why are we doing this, who are we? What is our vision? Uh, Let's keep rallying around that. So we are a relational network for churches and leaders. And our vision, and this has taken on more than just fancy language in the last 10 months as we've piloted. Our vision is really to unite and equip and amplify a Jesus-centered movement. That's what we're all about. So we want to unite it in the sense that we feel like there's such an opportunity to bring more relationship and cohesion to this group and this movement of Jesus followers that God is raising up all over the world. We're all kind of saying the same language, but looking for a a space to be together, to actually be in relationship with one another from all different backgrounds, and contexts and denominations. Um, So that's our common denominator when we say unite is this obsession with putting Jesus at the center of not only our theology, but our practice, our way of leading, of living, of discipling. Um, We want to equip too. We take that word seriously. That means we want to actually be... Producing how-to value for leaders in churches that feel like, hey, we need more equipping to be our best selves and bear our best witness and to do ministry in a Jesus-centered way. So equipping is really important to us from a practical standpoint. And we have this belief that when we unite and equip, amplification happens. It doesn't mean we want to be another loud voice of Christianity um, trying to hog the microphone and be brash out there in the world. It actually just means we want to put a Jesus-centered movement really on the map and give it at least one more place. It needs many places, but one more place for people to land within that movement. who are serious about wanting to practice this alongside others who are like-minded. And we want to do that in a way that gives a peaceful, loud, quiet, if we can use that term, welcoming place on the map for this movement. So that's just a bit to help us rally around who are we and what are we trying to do in the big picture? Um, I want to introduce one more person. Her name is Zelina. Show yourself, Zelina, if you're not there already. She's got that Jesus Collective logo on. There she is. She's waving. I'm introducing Zelina because she's a big part of our team. She's our project manager, and we just want to introduce the faces behind this thing, but also because she's going to put some links in the chat window that help you just get connected and learn more about us if you're at that stage. So keep an eye out for that. So we've been in pilot mode for about 10 months now, and we've just been incredibly grateful at the momentum that's been generated by by you, by us together, and we've been making so many relationships through that time. What have we been up to? We've been up to regional gatherings in Canada, in the States, and in Europe as well, where we've met a lot of you and others who are starting to track with us, just learn more, ask questions, give feedback. We hear from the spirit in those gatherings. We've been able to broker some connections through those gatherings, which has been great. We've been doing some online leadership formation through our learning collectives. John's going to talk about that in a moment. We are working away at building a platform that's really designed to do two things, help build community for this network, but also help to provide access to resources for this network as well. Um, We're just about to kick off an experimental innovation lab with a group of churches that want to come together to learn from one another in the coming weeks, and we'll report back on progress from that. And we're doing these podcasts. These are online interactive engagements. The idea here is that we're, we're exploring a bunch of topics. Some of them are about our understanding theologically about what Jesus-centricity means, but some of them are also about practicing what that means and what it means to live out a Jesus-centered faith and leadership as it applies to some of the key realities and opportunities that are facing us as churches and as ministries. So we're intentionally doing that dance of both theology and practice. That's kind of inherent in our DNA. So in that sense, today is, is really a microcosm about who we want to be as a network. Um, these kind of podcasts help lay DNA for us. They chart a trajectory for us as a centered set network fixated on Jesus. And that's one thing that's worth really briefly unpacking too. We, we have a centered set paradigm at Jesus Collective. That means we work hard to understand and articulate what it does mean to put Jesus at the center. And we take the, the theological effort that comes with that really seriously. But then we treat that as a lighthouse at the center of our network that we're all fixated on rowing towards together even amidst our differences along the way. So what we're interested in is each other's orientation to that center and our movement towards that center, rather than erecting a fence around our tribe and weaponizing theological distinctives as a way to determine who's in and who's out on the basis of belief or doctrine. So that's really important context to set the stage for a conversation like today because we're pretty committed to upholding and promoting that centered set paradigm. And we want to welcome you into that. So lots more could be said about that. Um, Suffice it to say, that's kind of a key part of who we are that we want you to know about us. Um, And that's a bit about how these podcasts sort of fit into the activity set that we've got going on in this pilot. Um, So more on the conversation we're unpacking today in a minute. First, we just want to give you a bit of a heads up on some things going on around the place. And this is a bit awkward for us because we're not here to sell products. We just get a lot of questions as new people start tracking with us. So this is a semi-efficient venue for us to just keep sharing updates to our base. Um, The pilot has been amazing. Real quickly, I'll tell you, we've been able to affirm that there seems to be value in what God's doing here. Um, And we've met a lot of people that are now putting faces to this movement. And so we feel compelled to keep going. So we have our sights set on taking that pilot label off as early as this fall in 2020, and started to ride the bike with no training wheels, so to speak. Um, and I'm sure we'll wobble and we'll fall a few times. But what that means is starting in the fall, we want to be working towards inviting people into relationship, into partnership with Jesus Collective, launching our platform, continuing to do leadership formation more intentionally and at a greater scale to invite more people in. So hopefully you'll hear more about that in the coming months if you keep tracking with us. Um, one of the fun and important milestones that we've got on the go is our Unite 2020 event coming up. In May, so we just want to share with you a little bit of detail about that, um, primarily because we want a lot of our good friends there. Uh, but it's actually starting to fill up, and we feel we owe you, we owe you the notice that if you want to be there, we we encourage you to register soon. So this is a great opportunity for us to launch Jesus Collective together. Um, it's a great opportunity for us to spend time relationally, getting to know one another. It's a great time for us to take that DNA of Jesus-centricity and that idea of unity in polarizing times and actually apply that to some of the things that we're wrestling with as churches and as leaders. Um, so it's happening May 7th and 8th at the Meeting House just outside Toronto in Canada. and um, You can see the URL there if you want to register for Unite. We'd encourage you to do that um, whenever you get a chance. So I want to introduce John Hann now. Many of you know John. John is our leadership development pastor at The Meeting House. Both him and I are on staff at the leadership team at The Meeting House, but devote a huge part of our time to Jesus Collective. John's got some updates on one of the other things we've been been doing, the online learning collectives, and going to share a bit about the next one coming up in April. So, John, over to you. Hey,
2: everybody. It is so good uh, to have you joining us for this conversation. Uh, Angela and I are looking forward to a great conversation with our guests Uh, But before that, we are uh, part of the vision for Jesus Collective is that we would equip leaders for um, mission and uh, ministry in a post-Christian culture with Jesus at the center. And I don't know if you've noticed, but the world is kind of polarized these days. And uh, so we're piloting a cohort that's coming together around What does it mean that we say Jesus is at the center? What is the Jesus-centered way? And this cohort uh, will meet for six weeks. It's a relational learning cohort. And we are going to take every week look at an aspect of the Jesus-centered way in a polarized world and unpack it. And talk about it and kind of get our heads and our hearts around it. Uh, and we'll be learning from thought leaders like Bruxy Cavey and Greg Boyd and Daniel Strickland and uh, Drew Hart, uh, who's a professor at Messiah College, um, African-American scholar who is really helping us think about racial reconciliation from the Anabaptist perspective, and then Reese Skye, who's a pastor in Fresno, who's just doing amazing work um, in the inner city, and she's going to help us think about, is our Jesus... Is our Jesus too white? Uh, And we're noticing this is a trend in our movement that uh, Jesus is, or we are a very, um, say, white movement, and we're not okay with that. We want to broaden that. So these thinkers are going to help us look at the gospel through that lens. And then our friend Brad Jersak looking at, like, enemy love, how do we do this? And how is that at the core of Jesus' message? So if you have uh, interest, you can go to jesuscollective.com. And look at our events page, and you can look at more information and explore more of whether this would be something that you would like to participate in. Uh, Applications are open through uh, May 22nd, uh, not May, March 22nd, and uh, we'd love to have you explore uh, joining us in that conversation. Right? So Matt's going to tee us up for this conversation with our friends Jeremy Jernigan and... Jeremy Duncan, and um, then we will kind of get into the really gristy part of our uh, time together.
1: Yeah, so let's dive into the meat and potatoes that everyone joined us for today. Again, that interview with the two Jeremys is really what we want to give the most time to, just to frame our time together today. I think we'd all agree we're talking about something that we recognize needs to continue to be worked out as a church, regardless of where we all land on this issue, we can probably agree that our relationship as a church with the LGBTQ community is not what it could or should be in all respects. And our unity as a church in how we're dealing with it is probably not what we'd all say it should be either. And on top of that, we're not even all clear on where to even start theologically necessarily. So there's lots of confusion and fear, I think we'd all acknowledge, that hovers around this conversation. But I guess part of what we're trying to do today is envision what if this situation and so many like it actually present us an opportunity, not just to get through this with as few bruises as possible, but what if the way that we approach this together and the posture we take in learning and listening from one another is actually a chance to signal a unity that Jesus said would be the best representation of his love to the world. Now we start thinking about this as an opportunity because there's a correlation between the things that are the toughest and bring us adversity and the upside. And I think that's very true in a kingdom sense. So that's not just to gloss over the difficulty of this, but that is a vision we have that there's actually an opportunity here to signal unity. That's transformative for the kingdom. And what if we didn't have to see the strength of our convictions and the disposition we take and the way we have the conversation and the way we welcome and engage others, especially who disagree with us. What if we didn't have to see those as trade-offs or a zero-sum game and we actually believe that we can call each other to clear convictions, but also create an environment where acceptance isn't always confused with agreement and where we can model unity and diversity through listening and learning from one another in a way where we're not threatened and we're letting the spirit speak to us. What if we could do that? And that's, that's part of our big vision, not just on this topic, but as a network. And today is a, just a way for us to keep modeling that together and playing that out. So today is about creating a safe discussion space. It's not about an agenda. No one's trying to convince anyone of a particular position or or anything like that. Um, But at the same time as a network, we just think it's fair because transparency is a value of ours. Just to share with you where we're at. Um, So Jesus Collective is born out of an Anabaptist tradition. We don't expect or ask anyone to take on that label or identity but we're just clear about that being our heritage as we emerge into this space, what we bring with us. So we bring an understanding of God's intended design for human sexuality and marriage that would align with the historic church and the historic Anabaptist movement. But at the same time, really importantly, we believe that faithful Christians who are otherwise aligned with the Jesus collective vision, the idea of a Jesus-centered paradigm, can arrive at different places and different biblical interpretations on the issue including a different understanding or a different paradigm of what it means to approach same-sex and LGBTQ marriage and different ways of engaging them in our community. So that diversity is represented on this call, and we're celebrating that. We're not just tolerating it. We're welcoming it. So to be clear, what that means for us is we want to welcome and learn from leaders and churches that land in different places on this issue and create a table that is welcoming for a a, a wide spectrum of perspectives. And in that sense, our disposition and our attitude is even trumping our position um, from a theological standpoint. And we're asking that of one another, too, that churches and leaders who are going to partner with us in conversation do the work to be clear in our convictions, but committed to seeking this unity and peace with each other that we're talking about. So we have that vision of it as a network, and we're hearing from lots of others who are saying, yeah, we want to be part of that safe space. We want to try and offer that as a gift. And we don't address issues like this because they define us as a network. We're not having this call today because we have a, an LGBTQ agenda. Uh, quite honestly, it's not our leading issue. Jesus is our leading issue. But as soon as we say we're Jesus-centered, that leads us to want to engage with issues that matter to us in love. So we want a gift of space for that to happen. And I think the last thing I'd say is, really, if you look at the alternatives, we don't like them very much. Um, the alternative would be, on one hand, putting ourselves in an echo chamber where we're really only talking with and spending close relational time with others who agree with us. That's probably more comfortable, but it's probably also driven by fear, honestly. Another alternative would be just letting go of any kind of rigor in terms of understanding what our convictions are um, and basically saying anything goes. That's comfortable for other reasons and may even be driven by a great desire for love and acceptance of others. But if we stop putting Jesus at the center and focusing and fixating on him, then the orbit starts to spin out of control too. So we don't like that alternative. And we'd love to cut through the middle and say, what if we could create that space where we're both clear in our convictions, but welcome a diverse dialogue, keeping our eyes on fixed on Jesus the whole time. So that's what we're here to do today. Um, We've already started learning about what this looks like from other churches, like the two that you're going to talk to today. Um, And that's a good segue. We're doing this together and asking this of everyone in a network. So Um, whether you're journeying with Jesus Collective or just listening in, that's what we're asking of ourselves today is can we create that space together? I'd even encourage you just to look around at the faces you see right now and just see that as a microcosm and symbolic of the impact we could be having through conversations like this across the kingdom. Um, Look at all these different people from different places, from different backgrounds, walks of life. What if we could actually be doing a conversation like this in a way that promotes unity and sends off that Jesus vibe to the rest of the kingdom so with that I'd just love to pray for us uh, and invite us to pray together as I hand it over to John and Angela um, to take us through the next hour or so with the two Jeremys and I'm just going to just say a quick prayer that's based on some scripture in Ephesians 4 2 and three it says always be humble and gentle be patient with each other making allowance for each other's faults because of your love make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. And God, my prayer today is that through your spirit, you would create that environment today. That we would be gifted with patience, humility, gentleness, that we would bear with one another through tough conversations. And that we'd be united in the spirit and that this call would represent your peace. So we pray that in your name as you move among us today. Amen. So, you know John. Uh, Angela is one of our best friends that we've met through Jesus Collective. Um, she pastors a church in Petaluma, California. But I'll handle it, hand it over to John and Angela to take us from here.
2: Great. Hello, friends. Hey. Hi, Angela. You ready to roll, John? I'm ready to roll. Um, so you you have read the bios for... Uh, our guests that are with us today, that was when you registered. So you, you've you kind of got a little bit of glimpse into where they're pastoring and who they are as people. Um, so I uh, just want to highlight, uh, Jeremy is in. Jeremy, haha, this is the problem. This is the Jeremy's. This is like a boy band, the Jeremy's. So um, Jeremy Jernigan is our friend from Portland and he's at Abundant Life Church, and then Jeremy Duncan is in Calgary in Canada, and he is at the Commons Church, and so this is, this is who we are in conversation with today, and so let's just dive right in to this conversation, uh, and I would invite uh, these guys to, uh, I turn the cameras on, I think, Zulema for them, as we have this conversation and if we can see, can you see them, Angela? I just need everybody else to turn off their videos so that uh-huh. we can have our guests be seen. That's great. Thank you. Oh, click, click, click. All right. Okay, guys. Well, welcome. Welcome to Jesus Collective Podcast. Hey,
3: thanks for having us. Yeah, it's great.
2: So... Um, Let's just jump in. Would love to know, kind of, tell us a little bit about your context. Let's start with uh, Jeremy Jernigan. Uh, you know, we are in Portland, but um, how long have you been pastoring? What context are you in in your church there?
4: Sure. So I am a second-generation uh, preacher, pastor. Grew up in the Christian Church uh, tradition, uh, originally from Arizona, and. Um, uh, did did uh, Arizona culture for a while. And uh, about three years ago, I uh, felt like God was calling us out to the Northwest. And so uh, we are a part of abundant life church here in um, the greater Portland area. Uh, we have three campuses. We have one uh, in uh, happy Valley, one in Sandy, both those are Oregon and then one in uh, Vancouver, Washington, um, which is just across the river from us. And so uh, multi-site, uh, three different communities, um, All different expressions of the Northwest, and so uh, figuring out, you know, how do you do church uh, in the Northwest? Um, I was raised, uh, I would say, more of a traditional, uh, mainstream, evangelical uh, background, Uh, but in my own journey, the last probably 10 years, um, just kind of discovered the Anabaptist movement and uh, was really intrigued by that, and that's what kind of led me down uh, this road and has uh, led me to Portland, where I feel like uh, the culture is ripe for this conversation and, and ripe for reimagining uh, what the church looks like. And so, uh, yeah, it's been kind of a wild ride, but uh, I love the Northwest. I love the rain. Everyone always, that's always the question, you know, what's the rain? And I, I love the rain. The rain makes things green. And so, uh, if you like green things around you, the, the rain's good. So that's, that's me. <laughs>
5: I'm excited to hear as we go through this, uh, different ways that your different satellite campuses have interacted on this topic. So that's just me putting a pin in that part of your context. I can't wait to hear more about that. Jeremy Duncan, do you mind doing a similar thing and give us a little bit of a context for you?
3: Yeah, so I um I uh, grew up in Toronto, that's where I'm from, don't really have much of a Christian background in terms of family of origin. Um, I came to The Jesus Story right at the end of high school, um, then ended up doing some studying and went into ministry, worked in Toronto. I came out to Calgary about 15 years ago now, I for a church here in the city for a decade, and then in 2014, I started Commons Church, where I'm at now. So we're just over five years old as a church. Um, we uh, our inner city uh, in Calgary. We have a second parish. We call them um, so multi-campus as well. We have a parish about five ten minutes away in another inner city neighborhood as well. And we're hopefully getting ready to launch a third a third parish in the next year or so because uh, we've had a, a lot of growth and a lot of fun things that way. So that's that's Commons. That's where we come from. We're part of the Evangelical Covenant tradition, which uh, what we were drawn to there is because the roots of the ECC is, uh, is a non-confessional church. So there are no statements of faith, um, there are no positions, that kind of thing, ideally anyway. Um, it's supposed to be the historic creeds of the church. If you are in on those, then you're in and you're welcome, and we're gonna figure out how to get along on everything else. And we're sort of really drawn to that uh, as an ethos in our domination, but really particularly here at Commons, that's been a big thing that's driven our community this ethos of if we're centered on Christ, if we are centered set, then we should, or that should enable a, a range of difference on a whole host of issues. Mm-hmm. And that brings all kinds of challenges, but that's what we're really trying to live out of, particularly on this one as well.
2: Okay. Uh, that's very helpful. It is. Uh, Jeremy, any Jeremy Jernigan, <laughs> and this is going to <laughs> this is going to get, let's with I last get, names, me. Duncan and Jernigan. Yeah, How about I'm that? i call you Jernigan. Um, <laughs> jeremy Jernigan, uh when so jeremy duncan has just given us a little kind of glimpse of what jesus centered means for them yeah as you as you guys apply that at your church what is what'd you say like what what does it mean that you guys put jesus at the center you want jesus at the center
4: so uh i think for us uh the phrase that i like to use a lot uh is just keep the main thing the main thing and the main thing is jesus and um in my experience in the church, and uh, I know we've got uh, multiple mm. countries represented uh, in this discussion, uh, mm. in the American context, at least, uh, of which I can I have a lot of experience there, uh, there's a lot of other <laughs> things uh, that quickly become mm. the main thing in churches. And um, for me, where I, where I really saw this was uh, three years ago, Uh, you know, I had been at my previous church in Arizona for 12 years and, um, felt like God was calling us, uh, somewhere new, but we didn't know what that, what that would be or, or didn't necessarily know. So we just kind of entered in this season of discernment and, and looking. And so I had a chance to like interview a bunch of different churches of would this be, uh, what we're looking for and, uh, gave me a really interesting perspective on the church in America on what are the main things because you go to their website and, you know, I hadn't, didn't know them, didn't meet them, but I'm quickly figuring out, Oh, this is really important to you here. This is really important. I think of things like uh, how much nationalism is the focus at a church. That's a big, that's a big thing that becomes a main thing in a lot of these churches uh, at least in, in America Um you know the the political is it a, is it a democratic church is it a republican church i mean you start to you start to get these flavors where you start realizing oh that's that's it and so for us i think um you know uh, I, i'm the uh, the second pastor of our uh, lead pastor of our church we're a 30 year old church and so uh, our founding pastor was there for for 28 years so it's a little bit of a, a strange situation to walk into where they've only known one style of leadership only known you know one voice now you got me i'm very different than uh the founding pastor and, and, and that's what he was looking for you know by his own admission and so for us it's been a chance to to question a lot of things and not in like a uh those are all bad but like why do we do this why do we do that and in that journey has been really a simplification of um let's like lock arms around jesus and let's create room for a, a wide variety of perspectives. And that has opened the door, uh, for, for where we are today. And, um, it was, it was hard work, you know, to be honest, the, the transition, uh, from him to me was a great transition. I get asked about that a lot because oftentimes if you have a founding pastor who has been there that long, it's a very hard transition. So we haven't had that, but, uh, we were, we we're more of a mainstream evangelical church that, um, might've, uh, majored on some of these other things. And, uh, last three years, we're really just trying to simplify the core of that, of what does it mean to be, uh, radically about Jesus and just focused on that. And so, um, for us, it's, it's simplicity, I I think is the, the, the word that comes to mind is like, there's a lot of other things you can focus on as a church. And, uh, oftentimes you get a pastor who's passionate about something and it becomes, we're a church about this, you know? And so for us, it's like, let's be a church about Jesus and we can have opinions and we can have things that obviously are important. um, But we create space when we keep the main thing, the main thing. So for us, that's kind of been the way we've tried to navigate that.
5: Great description. While we have you on the main screen, uh, can you talk a little bit about what your approach is to welcoming and discipling the LGBTQ community? Can we pop right into that? Are you game to take a go at that?
4: Let's, let's do it. I was hoping uh, Jeremy Duncan had to start
5: this.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And give us a, give us a, um, a story as well. Like with that. So this isn't just a, we just want to state from the beginning. And I know that you guys buy you, you model this, but this is not an issue. This is not an issue to solve. This is not uh, something that is kind of in the way. This is like, these are people and this is a community and these are real lives Mm. that Jesus deeply loves. And so How are you loving, you know, in a story of transformation? How's that happening?
5: People with faces. That's right.
4: So I got thrown into the deep end of the pool on this one. Uh, Literally my first month here, um, I had a lady in our church that wanted to meet with me and was very adamant. And I could tell. Uh, there's something behind this meeting. You know, all, all pastors gonna know when you get that that invite. And so, uh, again, I'm like trying to get my footing. We had just moved our family here, and and she was like, "I've got to meet with you." And so, I'm like, "All right, I don't know what this is about." And and it ended up she wanted to know my view on this topic. And so, uh, we started talking through theology, you know, which which is where you usually kind of start of like, all right, here's the way I understand the scriptures. Here's the way I kind of understand what Jesus was doing. And this is what makes the most sense to me. And here's, you know, some of the journey I've been on in in understanding that. And what was interesting is we were both um, theologically fairly similar uh, as to where we were landing on that. Um, But I, I could tell there was kind of like this anxiety there's this anxiousness and in the conversation i just you know kind of asked her some questions that i didn't i knew i'm the new guy i don't know and uh found out she ran a a national uh, organization that focused on this and um i won't say too much about it but uh, of a very conservative variety that i personally didn't resonate with um and yet she had been a part of our community for a long time and and so she wanted to know you know would i endorse the way that she was applying the theology? And, uh, that's where I just said, Hey, I don't really resonate with that at all. Um, understand where you're coming from, but like, that's, that's not what my heartbeat is for this. And, um, and then I, I'll not forget we get this really tense moment and she goes, so what are you saying? And I said, well, I, I, my goal, and I said, I don't have this figured out, but my goal is to create space where someone who could maybe disagree with me theologically on this would still have an ability to be a part of our community and, and be actually connected to what we're doing. I want to work on that. And she's like, "So, are are you telling me that that someone who could be openly gay could serve in our church?" And at that point, the answer was no because we hadn't figured that out. And so I said, "Well, as of right now, no, we don't we don't have that space." But that's what I want to work toward. I want to figure that out. And uh, that's where I lost her. And she's like, "Well, then I can't be a part of this church anymore." And I'm like, "Okay, help me clarify. Theologically, we're we're, we're pretty in line, but." because my heart would be to try to find space for them to serve was, was the particular context. That's, that's where I lose you. And that's what she said, yeah, that's, you know, basically, that's the slippery slope. You know, if you're, if you're willing to let them serve, then, then I just can't be a part of it. And she left and, you know, was very vocal and leaving. And, and that kind of lit a fire under me of like, we're going to figure this out. Wait, we're going to, we're going to go for it. And, um, uh, I've got to create space for people and we, we hadn't figured it out and so I, I'm not coming here today to go like we have the solution and take notes because you know we're like three years into an experiment of trying some things that we're gaining traction with and, and trying to figure that out and so for us it's been um, literally we've we've revamped and we can get into this however much detail but we revamped our whole volunteer process uh, where we've looked at all the different roles and figured out they ha- every volunteer role in our church has differing levels of responsibility, uh, different levels of commitment, you know, who can just jump into something week to week or who, Hey, if you're going to do this, you got to really commit to a year because there's relational equity involved. Like, so we try to figure out all of those. We basically uh, put them into levels of uh, what's required of you. Right. So like the level four being that you're not going to pop into this. This is like, you're going to have to be seasoned and committed. And level one being you could, you could try something out and figure out, do I like this? Um, and, uh, what we did is we basically said level one opportunities, um, we're creating space where, um, you don't have to be in line with our marriage policy. And so we have a marriage policy, but, uh, if you want to be level one, you don't have to be in line with it, which opens up the gay community. It opens up, uh, people who are living, uh, with a boyfriend or a girlfriend who who are straight, uh, people who are in a variety of situations. Um, the second thing we said is you don't have to, um, you don't have to be, uh, uh, committed follower of jesus yet like you could be on on that own journey as well so we opened that up uh and that was really the kind of the the beginning of this conversation for us was creating that space and that has been what's so cool and that's where we're starting to get momentum and traction and i'll I'll give one more story of this Uh, not too long after this i got uh an email from another pastor down the street uh, of uh, another church and he's an openly gay pastor and he said hey i'd like to meet with you i've heard some things about your church that i want to i want to verify i got a little nervous there i'll be honest <laughs> and i was like Oh no, i'm doing something wrong like i i have messed up i have offended someone i i, I so i went into we, we did coffee and i was i'll be honest i was a little 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 nervous like what has he heard and what have i done and he he said to me he goes uh so i don't know much about your church but i'm assuming you're an affirming church I said, why are you assuming that? And he goes, uh, because I keep hearing from so many of my friends in the gay community that I've got to check out what you guys are doing. And I, and I was like, well, so actually, theologically, that's not where we land. And he's like, really? And he was confused. And I was like, yeah, we actually, we, we land here. And I kind of explained it. And, and he goes, then explain to me what you're doing because I'm hearing from people who feel loved and welcomed in your community. And that like, I mean, there's lots of things as a pastor that can discourage you or encourage you. That for me was like, thank you, Jesus, just for that little moment of someone saying, hey, this thing is really working and you're actually loving. And it's one thing if like um, a straight person in our church said, hey, I think you're really loving to the gay community. It's like, right? okay, well, I want to know if the gay community would agree with that. And so when, you know, another pastor who is openly gay uh, and his church is affirming says to us, hey, you're getting a reputation uh, for being known as loving those who are gay in your church. Uh, that to me was like, okay, God's doing something cool. Um, and so we got to have coffee from theologically different vantage points, but yet in love. And now I meet with them on a regular basis and I ask him a lot of questions of like, help me understand this and that. And I'm still trying to learn, but, uh, those have been some of the cool, uh, just progression the last three years from (laughs) my initial conversation to kind of some of the conversations we're having today. Hmm. That's good,
2: man. Um, We're going to have a question time later where you can put questions in the chat. So uh, we're going to talk with these guys for a bit longer and then um, open it up to people to put questions in the chat. So just know that uh, there's a chance for that and questions can kind of be brewing uh, in the wait for that opportunity.
5: Yeah, so we're going to circle back around for sure on the question about discipleship. I think that uh, Jeremy Jurgen gave a great uh, picture of what it looks like on the welcoming side of things and even entry-level partnership, uh, not direct discipleship, but partnership that happens when you're serving side-by-side. Jeremy Duncan, can you give us a little bit of context for how you are uh, welcoming and uh, interacting with the LGBTQ community?
3: Yeah, so I mean, I, our context is a little different when we started Commons, and again, we're, we're only five years old, so we didn't have to, and I'll, I'll put this up front, I have never taken a church and helped them move through one position to a different position. That is a whole, um, there's an incredible amount of care and pastoral work and skill set it takes to be able to uh, make those transitions and guide people through them well. Yeah. Commons sort of started as a blank slate. We're a church plant, um, we're a large church now, but everybody has come sort of on the same footing. We've always been quite clear with our posture towards LGBTQ and the inclusion. Um, it's, it's right on the front page of our website. It's down in the footer, but you know, it's there for people to access that way. We started with just sort of this open posture of saying, hey, we're going to be um, Jesus-centered. Our language is we're going to be intellectually honest, we're going to be spiritually passionate, we're going to keep Jesus at the center of everything that we do. Um, And we weren't going to take a position on what we felt were some of the secondary or tertiary issues. So, originally, it started out as we don't have a position on LGBTQ. Like, you're welcome, you can come, you can participate, there is no... Yes or no? There is no levels. There is no barriers. Those types of things. Um, and so, what happened was, was, people came and started participating in community, um, and then we started to interact with, you know, like like you say, a real human beings. So we had both. Um, Um, gay people who were celibate or gay people who were looking for relationships or gay people who were in marriages with families all coming into our churches and participating. And I know some of the tension that we first had was a lot of people, uh, straight people, who were very open, very fine with our sort of open-handed policy until we started to have um, same-sex couples with children come to the church, and then they wanted to volunteer with the kids' programs. And our response was, of course you can volunteer with your child in their classroom. And we did have some people that were like, whoa, we liked all this in theory, um, but we're not sure, you know, we want these families with our kids. And and we just felt like that was absurd to say that a family could come and not volunteer with their children in their child's classroom. And so we had to work through that tension. And in some families that That was too much for and they left and others came in and that's how we've just sort of continued to move through this but i think the biggest thing for us has been biggest learning piece has been starting with a bias that we thought was going to be open and welcoming as a bunch of let's be honest straight people Um, and then having members of the trans community well members of the gay and lesbian community come to us share their stories with us come deeply involved baptize their children get involved and then we started hearing their stories and when you talk to real human beings and i think jeremy would say the same thing you you feel things in a different way you encounter them in a different way um I'm not saying your theology becomes unimportant but i will say your theology becomes less important when you're interacting with a real human being that you're having a conversation with that you've gotten to know and you actually love in a really meaningful way your theology doesn't drop off the radar but it becomes now one star in a constellation of different interactions you're having with that person and figuring things out and that's sort of been what's happening at commons over the last five years as, as more and more people have come into the community so
2: and and Jeremy Duncan, yep.
3: So how how
2: would you guys? Thank you for sharing that. And it's it's so good to get the context of your kind of your genesis of uh, you know how this started from you from the beginning. Mm-hmm. How would you guys talk about your theology around this? Right. And you know, there's there's such a spectrum on this from um, say somebody on the left, on the extreme left, whose uh, flag flying you know, rainbow flag flying Mm -hmm. above, um, you know, the the banner of their church door. Uh, And you may not hear much about Jesus, but you hear lots about justice in those congregations. And as they seek to, you know, create space for and welcome and celebrate the LGBT community. There's a, I guess, there's a theology, there's a way to get there. Mm -hmm. Um, But just knowing you, like, that's not my sense of, while you value that community, that's not yeah. it doesn't seem to be where you're at as a church in that way. So theologically, how did you get to where you are? Just Bible,
3: yep, <laughs> theology. So I'll, and, and I'll and throw it. a link if people want to check it out. I can post it in the chat, but commons church slash lgbtq. Yeah. Um, that's where our documentation is on how we work through these things. So by all means, check that out. But I, I can talk about it here. Um, I think a couple things. When you say affirming church in Canada, um, that means something very specific. So particularly within the United Church in Canada, which, um, you know, for our friends in the States, is sort of the conglomeration of what would have been the United Methodists in the States and a bunch of different denominations coming together. That's a specific designation that entails a specific approach towards um, not just LGBTQ persons, but theology. We don't really line up very well with that as a position because... What, we, what we've come to is this sort of, I'm going to call it nuance. I don't mean that as in better than anything else, but our position would be that as we read the Bible of or the text of the Bible, what we would say is the Bible seems to be humbly pointing towards sexuality expressed between a man and a woman in a lifetime committed monogamous relationship. Like it's, it's orienting us in that direction. However, all through the Bible, we see, Images and examples and stories that don't live up to that reality that are still blessed and honored by the divine, that are still given place within our communities, that are still given place within the text of the scripture. And, and this is a, a difficult place because, at one sense, we're saying, hey, there's a picture God is orienting us all around, and then there's a reality where none of us measure up to that or none of us accomplish that in a full sense. Now, what I want to be careful with then is then saying that our LGBTQ friends are somehow less than or secondary. Because I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is none of our sexual experiences live up to the reality of of what creation was meant to be. And I'll share this from a personal perspective. My wife and I, by the way, we just adopted a little girl like two weeks ago and brought her home. The reason we adopted her and our son, who's adopted as well, is because um, 10 years into our marriage, we found out we couldn't have children. Well, I think the Bible tells us that procreation is part of human sexuality, (laughs) and yet no one has ever looked at my marriage, my love for my wife, our relationship, and told us that we're less than because our marriage doesn't express all of the elements of what human sexuality can be. And I think It's not a perfect analogy, but I think there's something there in terms of how we can approach the LGBT community to say, yeah, maybe it's not that expression the Bible is pointing towards, but does it express fidelity? Does it express monogamy? Is there commitment? Is there love? Well, can we honor and celebrate all of that? Not just gloss over and say, oh, fine, but actually say, no, we honor this. We celebrate this. We affirm this in our community, even if we recognize that we're, we're not saying the Bible doesn't have nothing to say to us about sexuality. And that's kind of the approach that we've taken. The other piece theologically for us is that I would argue... The the narrative thrust of the Bible is about the ongoing expanding inclusiveness of the kingdom and the commonwealth of God, that we start with Abraham as a person, and that expands to his family, that expands to the tribe that develops out of that, that expands to the nation of Israel, to the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, and eventually to all the Gentile nations being invited in. That's the predestination of God god called abraham and from the beginning god always planned to invite everyone to the table and to me when i take that as the larger meta-narrative of the scriptures that tells me where are the people that are excluded where are the boundaries that came to me from outside and how do i begin to push them back and push them down the other thing will be we don't worship the bible at commons and we're pretty clear about this we love the bible we study the bible I've done my undergraduate my graduate degrees in biblical studies and i love that kind of stuff but i worship jesus and at the center of that is a jesus story that chose to pick up on certain cultural themes and nuances and chose to leave others up to our imagination and i think this is one of those pieces where jesus speaks in very broad terms about human sexuality that i think allow us the flexibility to say we're learning about who we are as human beings. We're learning about what love means. We're learning about what sexuality and desire mean. As we go through history, just like we're learning about a lot of other things. And as we do that, we can now see this larger story of God's expanding inclusive kingdom, inviting more people to the table, even if That encompasses some of the ways that we fall short of sort of a platonic ideal of what human and human sexuality should look like. So that's nuanced. We're really careful with that because we never want LGBTQ people to feel like you are secondary. Um, But at the same time, we're saying to everyone, none of our marriages are perfect. Every heterosexual marriage I have ever officiated is flawed in all kinds of ways. And I still participate with those people because of what's beautiful about them help <laughs> it, it
2: does help and i i have a question for yep. jeremy Jernigan, but I, I i will lodge this before we transition what so what makes that different or maybe it's not mm-hmm. then then that um you know in the canadian church context then a a lgbtq right. kind of theology that would be represented by churches that would self-identify as extreme left on political matters, on social Mm -hmm. matters that are kind of planting their flag there. Yeah. So how is, yeah, how are you guys similar or different than that?
3: I think what you would say is that some churches would say um, there is no picture of human sexuality that we should be taking from the Bible and learning from or applying to modern constructs,
5: yeah. that
3: everything uh, about gender identity, everything about human sexuality is a social construct. And like, I'm, I'm very sympathetic to that. I think a lot of our sexuality is a social construct. I mean, on a basic level, all we have to do is look at erotic imagery throughout history to realize that what I think of as beautiful in a woman, what I think of as erotic, has nothing to do with biology. It is entirely a social construct. Because if I had been born 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, my, my image of a beautiful woman would look very different because socially, I would have been instructed to look for other things in a woman. So, there is an element that that is true. But I think that can also be expressed in partnership with what does it mean to be human and what is the Bible teaching us about what it means to be human. So, I'm not quite ready or willing to say everything about gender, everything about sexuality is entirely socially constructed, but I do acknowledge that a lot of what we experience today is. And so, we're trying to, to parse that out and figure out where that line is rather than just just toss it away and, 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 and assume it's all socially constructed. So, I mean, I mean that's, that's a difficult answer, but I would say that's the piece for us, is we're trying to balance what we hear in the scriptures and what we understand from social theory. And so, is there a scripture that you, that
2: you use, a, a scripture, or using the scriptures to yeah.
3: arrive at this? So, so I'm going to say, I'm, I'm pretty skeptical of using a scripture to talk about anything. Um, I don't think that's generally very helpful, because I think any particular verse or chapter of the bible like i don't i don't think verses of the bible are inspired by god i think i think the story as it comes to us that tells us about jesus is what the holy spirit is at work and inspiring and speaking to us through so rather than take a verse you know romans 127 what i want to do is understand that in this ongoing expanding imagination of god's kingdom However, when it comes to human humanity, I mean, I, I would want to go back to Genesis, and I want to look at what is that what is that na- uh, creation myth? What is that narrative telling us about what it means to be human? Um, I, think it's, I think it's telling us something that we are all created. I think it's telling us that it's not just kings and rulers that are in the image of God. I think it's telling us that we're not born out of violence like the, you know, the myth of Atrahasis. I think it's telling us that we're born out of the creative goodness of God. But I think it's also telling us something about what it means to express that in relationship and love and sexuality and, and all of these different, you know, the image I use is, is a constellation of ideas that form our identity. So, sexuality is only one of those things, but it's an important one. Okay,
2: good, man. thank you. Ah that's a mouthful, but that was yeah, I know yeah so set you said it well, so jeremy <clears throat> Jernigan, uh what are what are you hearing in that in that conversation and, and we're not trying to debate this is not a debate, but I'm also uh, not hiding from our differences yeah. on this, and so Jeremy again, uh, you are hearing this and your church is landing in a different place and has been in a, in a conversation that has landed in a different place. So what are you hearing as you hear this uh, from Jeremy? And then what are the things that this, I don't know, the approach that you use as you're engaging LGBTQ plus people and, and non in uh, explaining how it is that you've arrived where you've arrived?
4: Yeah, I would say, uh, I love, I love, you know, Jeremy, uh, the other Jeremy's answer. I love his heart. Um, you know, I started following him on Twitter uh, a while back and just, you know, he's a kindred spirit in, in uh, his approach and theologically, I actually don't think we're, we're far off. Um, uh, you know, he's essentially talking about God's accommodating will, you know, when, when we deviate from some, some ideal. Um, and absolutely, I agree. You see all throughout the scriptures, God accommodating to us. Um, it's one of the beautiful things about God, and especially as, you know, as, as we see it in Jesus. Um, I think the challenge for me and where I might see it a little bit differently is, um, and this is like one of the conversations I have to have with with some of my staff because our staff isn 't all on the same page uh, and and that 's not a problem for us, but it just means we we have to navigate this yep. um, If I, as an individual want to have my own theology and my own opinions on that that 's fine and and truthfully, part of me uh cannot wait until i 'm retired and I can just have my own ideas and they're, <laughs> you know what I mean like
2: it said, it said every pastor i 've ever met yes. <laughs>
4: Yes, I'm not representing anybody. It's just me. Right. This is what I think. You know, I think the challenge comes in um, the moment I have to to play a role in community, right? Which is what what I I have to do for my role. I have to now make the decisions um, that are going to affect in real time how our community gathers, how our community uh, is going to live out these ideas. And I think that's. Um, if I had to guess that is why so many people are interested in this conversation, I don't think it's just the theology. I, I, I think honestly you can figure out the theology and go okay, that, that kind of makes sense. I think that the challenge that that churches are finding is that how do you live this out really well and how and how do you find that you know when you have to make this into a policy? Um, because I would love to say again, as me, like yeah if you uh, if you're you know uh, in a gay, uh, marriage and it, you know, it's honoring the God and your commitment. Like, that's great. Like, I, I I hope God endorses that. And I think he can, and he can accommodate that. And like, I have no problem with that, but now I have to decide, you know, will we as a church perform those, those weddings? Uh, will we put those people in leadership roles, you know? and, And then I think you have to go, it's not just this one topic. Uh, there's a, there's a variety of things that the church has to make this decision on. And so, Um, there's a variety of things, especially, you know, uh, the other German mentioned, uh, children's ministry, that alone is incredibly difficult. And we have had to tell a bunch of people that they cannot serve with kids, not because of this issue, but, um, what if you had a felony, uh, for a violent crime in the past, does that disqualify you from serving with your own kids? Like church has to make a decision on that. And, and so there's a lot of things like you, you have to make decisions all day long on on policy of like at some point you have to live this out in community and and uh again so you can have these ideals theologically i don't think that's where the tension really is Mm -hmm. um and the latest one which open up this can of worms i guess uh i'm getting more and more questions about about polyamory Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, that's that's become a very common thing i'm getting asked more and more about and so i would say again you go you can have your idea theologically of of polyamory and does, does the the narrative of scripture, the arc that we see, does it allow for that? Mm -hmm. Well, that's one conversation. The second conversation is, okay, so what do you do with a polyamorous staff member? What do you do with, uh, you know, these are the, I think where the, the tension is. And so I think, um, And I would imagine, you know, Jeremy Duncan would say the same thing. Like you have to draw a line somewhere on, on things. Uh, We just are maybe drawing the lines a little bit differently. And and I think we're all nuancing it the best way we know how and trying to, trying to figure out what is most consistent. And so for us, we feel like, um, you you know, I, I I think uh, you look at the, the, the bigger story of scripture and I totally agree. It, It is about more and more inclusion. It's amazing. What, what, Perplexes me, and I guess that's maybe the word I want to use is that Jesus seemed in in the uh, the area of sexuality to go the other direction, and I've always been like perplexed by that. Like, what's up? And I think of like you know in Mark ten, they're asking him about divorce, like not the not the design. Okay, you know what do you say, Jesus? And rather than like going on this whole divorce sermon, Jesus goes back to the beginning and goes, well, in the beginning, God created them male and female, and it's like. So that's his answer to a question about divorce was like, let me go back to the, to the design, you know? And so that's the model I try to replicate of, of not, well, what about this? And what about this? And again, you can go, what about transgender? What about polyamory? What about, and, and again, that conversation is getting more and more and more and more. And yeah. you could spend your your days writing a policy statement about every single possible mm. other option. And it would just be the longest document ever. Or I think the approach we try to take is, from the example we see of jesus he keeps going back to the design of what what's the intent and so yes i agree god can accommodate i also think there is an there is a design there is an intent there is uh if god had his way you know it it would be like this and all of us fall short of that myself included um god has done a lot of accommodating in my life and so i don't think it's any different there but i think as the church um we have to make decisions on behalf of community in real time. And and so I think you have to decide, hey, this is what it looks like for us. And what I would say candidly is we might change it um, in the years to come. And so I don't think that's, uh, thus saith the Lord, you know, this is always what it means in our community. Um, It's changed in the last three years. You know, who knows three years from now we go, you know what? We're we're seeing this a little bit differently. We're understanding this a little bit differently. So here's how we're going to apply it. Um, I think that really is the nature of the conversation is how, how do you live these ideas out um, when you have to represent a community, not just these are my opinions.
3: Can I, can I jump in on that really quick for one thing? Yes. Yeah. I, I like um, one of the things that Jeremy said is that there are a difference of opinions, even in their staff and leadership. And I, I want to affirm that, uh, you know, to use the language there because that's also the same here at commons we've actually said we don't have a position that everyone on staff needs to hold to and also we don't have a position that you have to hold to if you're a member you can hold a traditional view of marriage at commons and you are welcome as a member you can be a same-sex couple in a marriage with children and you are welcome fully to participate at any level of leadership of commons the, the the grounding piece for us is you have to be willing to sit beside, share communion, honor, and welcome the person who disagrees yeah. with you. So, I actually, and I'll say it this way, I'm actually less interested in people's theology than I am in how they live together. So, yeah. if someone tells me, I am super conservative, I have a traditional view, I love commons, and I want to be sitting beside people who view this differently than me, I wanna hear their story, I wanna invite them into my house, um, and I'm not gonna to try to talk them out of everything, anything, then I'm like, great, like, hold that. And it's the same thing here with our LGBTQ community. Um, they have to understand that they are gonna be welcome. There's gonna be no limits. I mean, that's, that's the first thing for us up front. You're not going to hit a glass ceiling anywhere at Commons. But you also have to recognize, it's not gonna be a church where everyone is always going to be on board from the start. Mm. Now that's where affirming churches are really important because there are members of the LGBT community who have been so hurt that they need to be in a space where they know they are absolutely safe and everyone absolutely is going to be on their side. And I value that. I affirm that there's United Church down the street from us that we have an amazing relationship and we love them and they provide that in the community. A lot of the uh, gay and transgender people in our community are here because, and again, I don't mean this disparaging, but they're here because If I can say it this way, we don't care. They are welcome to come here. They're welcome to serve. They're welcome to lead. They're welcome to participate as who they are rather than leading with their sexuality in either a positive or negative sense. That that is one part of who they are and they are fully welcome, but not on the basis of that. And I think for a lot of people, that's a really welcome space.
5: So, I, Jeremy Jernigan was talking about how the need for policies, and you are presenting a different approach to policies as well, but in the end, discipleship is where almost all of the lines break down, and it's all kinds of messy, gray, people in with people. Um, in some way, shape, or form, both of you are communicating that the, the gay lifestyle is in some way, shape, not God's ideal, maybe in the same way as other people, things that we do are not in part of God's ideal. What does that look like in discipleship? What is that? If you're saying this is not part of God's ideal, does that then mean when you get into the discipleship conversations, you begin to try to reform that towards God's ideal? And that's a question for both of you. What does that look like in discipleship?
3: Yeah, if if I can answer that, I'm not saying the lifestyle is not part of God's ideal. What I'm saying is there's a platonic ideal of what a human being is in male and female and what that sexuality looks like. I think God's ideal for each of our individual experiences of what it means to be human can look very different. So in the Bible, there is a platonic ideal of what a human is and it looks to that. In the individual experience of every single one of us, God is not trying or asking any of us to live up to that platonic ideal. God is experiencing us, walking with us, journeying with us, and allowing all the mix of things that come and shape our identity to be expressed and affirmed in our life. So that's why for us... That same-sex couple would absolutely be affirmed in their choices, in their families, as they are. There would be no attempt to talk them out of that. There'd be no attempt to dismantle those families, um, to have a children pick one parent to live with, nothing like that. We want to affirm that family is good and celebrate that in our community and before God. Does that help?
5: Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to hear, Jernigan, can you speak to that as well? What does that look like in discipleship?
4: Yeah. So one of the things I say a lot to our church is, um, I am not the Holy spirit and I'm very grateful for <laughs> is that. that? Clear? And so, uh, I remind <laughs> thank you
2: people for letting us. Like, know.
4: <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I think, you know, people sometimes look at the church of like, okay, tell me what to do. And it's like, uh, I'm not the Holy spirit. And so, you know, um, I think it would be ludicrous to tell a married gay couple who has kids like, Hey, it's, it's more biblically honoring for you to go get a divorce. And, uh, that's, that's how you go back to the idea like that. No, you know? And so, uh, when you get into the realities and these are real people and you go, "Well, what, what would this mean for us? That's where I would just say, I, I would invite them into community and go ask God what he wants you to do. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know how to navigate all these And I think God can accommodate in in a lot of ways. Um, I also think the church has to figure out how far do we accommodate in practice, you know? And, and again, um, I'd be curious, you know, uh, with you know, the commons church, like, you know, so if a polyamorous couple said, Hey, I want to be on staff. Good question. Would you you be okay with that? Because I would, I would guess somewhere, you know, that there's that line that you go, Hey, this is kind of for us. We'd go. I think that's just the difference of, um, our hearts the same. we, we want to yep. disciple them. We're going to bring them in community as much as, as we know how, while also saying hey, as best as we can discern it, this is kind of what makes sense to us right now. Acknowledging that that's uh, again, uh, that's in community. That's not a, that's not a, some verse we got out of the Bible that we, we stamp down on everything. It's just as our community discerns it, this is what seems, seems right to us in the Holy Spirit right now. And we're trying to navigate it, you know, in real time.
3: I absolutely agree. I mean, obviously, we, we don't have policies around these things. Um, you know, I, and then that gets difficult as the church gets large. Um, but we, we try to deal with things on a one-to-one basis. But you're right. Absolutely. We've had the conversation about polyamory and what that looks like. For now, our conversation has been about celebrating fidelity, commitment, monogamy, love, these types of things. And, and, and polyamory sort of sits outside of that we're open to learning, we're open to listening, we're open to hearing those, those families and their stories. Uh, but right now, that's where we sit. And, and I think it's the same thing. We, we all have to figure these out, out. We all have to be willing to listen, though, even when it makes us uncomfortable. And I'll admit that the polyamory one makes me pretty uncomfortable. But if I'm not willing to at least listen to those stories, then how am I going to learn? How am I going to move forward? So yeah. yeah, that's a tough one.
5: So, uh, Duncan, I think I've got a picture of what that looks like for how you're creating safe spaces across the board, Mm -hmm. but I'd like to hear from either or both of you. Um, Jernigan, you just said, I'm not the Holy Spirit, so I'm encouraging, for instance, this uh, gay couple that has kids, that is married, get in, get into the community, make relationships, figure out what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to you. What is that? How are you teaching your people to create safe spaces for this kind of disagreement? So you invite this couple into the community to hear via the community hermeneutic, but there's difference all over the place. How are you training your people to be in relationship with each other as they differ?
4: Yeah. I'd love to jump on that. Um, one of the, one of the ways we rolled this out is, um, I, I, uh, in in like the first year try to figure out what are our essentials as a church. And by that, if someone were to ask abundant life, um, what does it mean to really have a Christian worldview to have a a Christian understanding of, of, you know, theology, uh, to understand like what parts of Jesus is important. uh, You know, how, how do we understand it? Uh, we wrestled that through and we came out with just eight statements and um this is on our website if people want to see this but just eight kind of phrases of like these are the things and um like a lot of them they're not overly specific on uh this version over this but like the overall arching concepts and so um like one of them is like we believe that god created well how did he do it like i don't know and i don't think it really matters but like i think it does matter that you think god created rather than we just showed up here and now we're trying to make sense of it. And so what we did in that process is we formally acknowledged, and people can see this, your view of sexuality is not on the list. Well, what that does for people is it then locks in to go, okay, this is a non-essential, which therefore creates space to go, another Christian can see this differently than me. And that that's not a threat. That's not a, well, we uh that that's that's where we create space and so um we're really big and i i say this preaching regularly um you are free to disagree with me um on, on something on my take on something and uh we rally around the essentials and they're not many and they're you know it's it's really about jesus and and who we think uh jesus is the story that jesus is inviting us into beyond that uh, there's a lot of we don't have statements we don't have a lot of things i like what's i get asked all the time what's your stance on this i'm like Depends who you ask on staff. Like, no, no, no. What's what's the church's like? We don't have a stance even on this. We don't have a stance. Like, we have how we play it out in real time. And so I, uh, I always say, well, here's here's our marriage policy of who we marry. Like, uh, here's our volunteer policy of who can get you know plugged in and serving. And, and so for us, connecting back to discipleship, um, we we invite everyone to be a family member. And and we would say, here are the, some of the things that we would say uh, or what family members do here. Like you, and anybody can be a family member, you choose to to be a part of it. And what we've opened the door for is that someone who would disagree with my theology on, um, on sexuality could be a family member at abundant life. And that for us is where they have, they have discipleship, uh, with everyone else. Because if you, I think this is where a lot of non-affirming churches get stuck is if you land on the more historical view of this, um, like, yeah, you're fully welcome here. Well, can I get involved? No, got yeah. not get involved at all. Well, it's like, well, they can't truly be part of the life of the church at least. And and again, I don't think you have to say they have to be able to have my job to be included. Um, I think there can be different degrees of leadership and influence and all of that. But we would say, yeah, you can absolutely be a full family member with us, engaging. And we have uh, since we've changed this, we have a number of uh, people in the gay community that do serve every week, and and they love it. And you know, one of them recently told me, this is the first time I've ever felt welcome in a church before because he finally has a space it's you know, not just welcome you life of the church and so again i think it goes back to not what is our policy and stance against everything but you're invited and we're doing the best we can to bring you into the life of the church with us
3: yeah love it i think for us when you talk about the, you know that question of discipleship how do we disciple i think the big thing for us is we're really we, we just don't have a lot of policy so if you want to come and baptize your infant at Commons, we are honored to do that with you. If you, do, if you believe in credo baptism, then we will dedicate your child with you. If you want your same-sex family to be affirmed and welcomed and married here, then we will do that for you. If you believe in um, traditional view of marriage, then we will honor your traditional marriage here at Commons, like for us, none of these things are just rising to the level of breaking communion with each other. So when we disciple, we're trying to talk about simplicity. We're talking about generosity. We're talking about uh, opening our homes to each other, sharing life with each other. Uh, We're talking about the peace of Christ. We're talking about these things. We're not talking about, you know, trying to move anyone towards a position on LGBTQ, on baptism, um, you know, on a particular doctrine of atonement. I mean, these things just sort of don't, they don't even enter the Conversation of discipleship for us, and I know that's strange for a lot of people to understand. But I'm just—I'm not avoiding the question. It's just that's not part of our agenda in terms of how we're trying to spiritually form people at Commons. So, so what? So, if if you're
2: not—if um, that's not the agenda, then mm-hmm. what? What are you with anybody? But mm-hmm. uh, we're talking LGBTQ today. So, if there's anything in particular that you would say, this is uh, an aspect of discipleship or formation that we find is something that we are applying um, in consistency in relationship with this community.
3: Right. With LGBTQ. I think, so we just did a series, Swipe Right, we talked about sexuality and that. We would want to talk about, is your expression of sexuality, is it healthy for you? Is it healthy for, the, for your partner, the person that you're in relationship with? Just because you're married doesn't mean your expression of sexuality is good and pure and honoring and holy. Is it generous? Are you kind? Are you caring in your sexuality? Are you committed? Um, is there fidelity? Is there faithfulness? You know, these are the types of things that I would want to talk to somebody who is gay, someone who is straight, and I would want to talk about does your sexuality express all of the welcome and the kindness and the generosity of Jesus that we feel like we're called to? So, absolutely, there's things that we want to shape. There's things in the culture that we want. To move away from towards a sexual ethic that looks more like Jesus, but in terms of the decision on genitals and who puts what where and who, what relationships those are, that, that's not, it's, I'm not interested in that type of nitty-gritty details. I'm interested in those bigger picture ideas of what does healthy human expressions of sexuality and connection look like, and that we do want to shape everyone in our community.
5: So, John, can we handle a little business... <laughs> We should be transitioning to the Q&A portion from the chat, but I don't want to cut, like, do you have a a wrap-up, John, that you want to hit before we start taking some of these in the chat window? There's great questions over there.
2: (laughs) That that was very tactful, Angela, and how you're moving us. (laughs) That's very good. Wow. Um, Yeah, the the wrap-up is um, as we transition to taking your questions, we'll take them in the chat. We uh, may not be able to ask every question and we'll try to summarize your questions so that we're able to kind of moderate the question for our guests to bat around. Mm-hmm. So um, I do want to ask this last one before we do this. Cause Jeremy, uh, I've heard you I say this. I know, I know <laughs> Jeremy, 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 Jeremy oh, I'm sorry, Jeremy Duncan. Do you do gay marriages yourself? Yeah. Is, so right your, now,
3: yeah, good question. Right now we are part of the ECC, which does not permit uh, clergy to perform same sex marriages. So we have been in negotiation for you know several years now tr- trying to figure that out with our denomination. We love them. They have been incredibly generous and kind to us. So I, I want to say that. Um, but right now we are at a bit of a crossroads and a stalemate with them. Our current policies at Commons um, What we expect is anyone who holds a license with our denomination um, to honor the restrictions of that license. However, uh, we also do affirm any staff on church who choose to surrender their licenses and find alternative licensing uh, for the purpose of uh, freedom of pastoral conscience to officiate any wedding that they want to. So that's, that's the policy of commons. If you have a license with the ECC, we expect you to follow their rules We don't require our staff to have that and they are free to get a license wherever they want to follow their own pastoral conscience and and staff can choose that on their own. Me personally, right now, I do retain license with the ECC um, and in a statement of both submission to the ECC and solidarity with our communities, I do not officiate any weddings in our community. I have some that are booked on my calendar for the coming year or so, but um, as of uh, 2020, I am not taking any bookings Um, because I want to stay in submission to our denomination. We want to work with them. We want to stay in partnership, but at the same time in solidarity to our community, I'm not doing any weddings until I can participate with anyone in our community equally.
5: Mm.
2: Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yep. Okay. Okay, In the chat.
5: Yeah, so, Keith, we hit your question a little bit about discipleship. I'm sure not enough, but at least we've touched on that a little bit. Um, Phil L. and Kevin M. both had questions for Jeremy Jernigan about this concept of the glass ceiling. Do you have people giving you feedback that it feels like, well, I can only go so far with the organization? And is it producing any kind of a sense amongst your people of a hierarchy?
4: So we're really clear, um, if you look at the the document of levels of serving that it's not, um, it's not an elite, uh, you know, level three is is a better leader than a level two. Um, we really focus it on its, its level of responsibility and level of commitment. Um, and so, uh, you know, the each each uh, level up adds more things that we would ask of you because there's there's a greater influence that you'd have um, in our community. Level four is actually volunteer staff, um, where uh, we would recognize a level three leader and say, man, you are you are such a, a pivotal part. Uh, and, and that's kind of been uh, which is a separate conversation, but that's been a a game changer for us. Even, uh, we just, since October have brought on 14, um, volunteer staff, uh, that give a minimum of 10 hours a week. They have staff emails, they go to staff meetings. Um, they have job descriptions, they get evaluations. And so we're really big on giving ministry away. Um, and so uh, if someone sees the document and they don't know the context of our community, that is a question. Um, I don't get that with people who are in it and they are serving, they understand, oh, that's, you know, a lot of people are like, I don't want to do level three right now, you know, or I, I can't make that commitment, um, rather than, you know, woe is me. You won't let me, um, here's what I would say. I think it's a great question. And, uh, yeah, you know, th- there is a, a ceiling if, you know, if you're not, uh, if you're not doing it the way that we we understand it. And um, I, I think the best thing, and this is what I think all of us got to do is um, just be upfront with people about where you are. Um, one of the things, the tradition that I have come from, the the common answer is when someone goes, hey, what's your church's view on this? Uh, traditionally, we say, hey, let's go to coffee and I'll explain to you. Yeah, I think is, is not very loving to say, um, you have to make a commitment to me and commit your hours and commit your time and potentially a socially awkward situation for you before I'll even answer this. And so we're really upfront with anybody who asks of, Hey, and I, and I get you know, emails on a regular, what's your church's stance on that? I go, well, we don't have a stance. Um, but what you're probably asking is in real time, how does this affect how we do ministry? And I'll share our marriage policy. I'll share our volunteer policy with them. And, and we're, I mean, right out of the gate and we're not hiding behind it. We're not ashamed of it. Um, That's the way we understand it. And so as best as we understand it, this is what we're doing um, to date. uh, And I think this will change. um, We have not had anyone uh, express any type of um, frustration. Uh, It's been only the opposite so far of people going, wow, I can't believe uh, theologically, you don't agree with me, but you're letting me serve. That's been the, the reaction we've got. I think as we get more and more people into this, um, I think we will get people that will say, wow, that doesn't seem fair. Or that's, that's, uh, a ceiling for us. And to which I would just be real honest and go, as we understand it, that's, that's the decision we feel led to make. But then that's where I would say there's lots of other churches around us where, um, if that is something that you feel is, is important, then I would encourage you go be a part of one of those other communities. And like I said, there's a, a church on the street that is is very very affirming and that's a big deal to them uh, because of who their pastor is and so i would say hey that's something you know that you want to do we just haven't had that and, and so that's why i would say um it's a little hard to look at a document because it, it feels this very policy of of separate from the community um but if you were to talk to the people in our community um they're more amazed that they get to serve at a church uh that doesn't agree with them on this and they don't agree with us and they're they're more like wow we've We've never had a chance to do this. And so um, that's been the experience we've had. And again, I, I think you can disagree with us. Uh, you can not like it, but we try to be very upfront, be very honest and go, this is what makes the most sense to us. And, uh, you know, we're trying to be faithful um, to, to Jesus and what we understand Jesus is calling us to do and acknowledging that that might be different from the church on the street. And um, I, I just think being upfront is is the best thing we know how to do.
3: If I can add, I think I think what Jeremy's saying is so important for every church that's listening right now is just to be very clear, put it on your website, let people know. The LGBTQ community is not a monolith. There are people throughout that community that have very differing views on theology. Yeah. And if you are honest with them up front about where your community stands, there are going to be people within that community that will resonate with that. What's hurtful and harmful, and I think really toxic, is churches who are so desperate to get people into the doors right. that they hide it, they, they cover it up, and then somebody comes and somebody gets invested, they put their time in, and then all of a sudden they hit the glass ceiling. That is, that is not fair to people. That is incredibly unkind. Having a position, being honest with it, that can be incredibly loving because you're telling people what to start from and where to come from. And I promise you, if you're up front, just like Jeremy's saying, the LGBTQ community is not a monolith. People will resonate with what you're doing. Just be honest about it, 100%. Yeah.
2: What do they say? Clarity is kindness. Absolutely. When it comes to this conversation. Yeah. Um, Angela, you have a question for us, or you want me to take it?
5: Uh, I'll take one while you uh, pick a different one. Okay. Trevor just uh, asked a question about – I'm paraphrasing here, Trevor, so I'm sorry. But – uh, this idea of God's accommodating will and, and acknowledging that uh, not all of the choices that we make or all of the ways that we are functioning is God's ideal. Mm-hmm. Is there any part of that that feels a little bit like we have moved people to the center instead of Jesus to the center um, in, in the process of accommodating?
3: Hmm. I think that's a really interesting question. I'd have to think about it more. Um, What I would say in that, I think, is I I think all theology is anthropocentric in the sense of it's human beings trying to make sense of our encounter with the divine. Now, the, the fullest expression of what the divine is, is what we see in Christ. So, our concepts of God, take second place to what we see in the person of jesus who is the divine walking among us in tangible ways that we can understand but all theology all church all ecclesiology anytime we come together as community it's always the wrestling of human beings doing their best to live together to honor each other to help each other and to move each other forward so there's tension there i'm not denying that at all i'm just maybe suggesting i don't know that you can ever get away from that i don't know That sort of, again, a disembodied platonic ideal of Jesus at the center is really all that helpful. I think the messiness of humanity doing our best to encounter the divine is actually where we need to root ourselves and live.
5: So Trevor has provided some clarity via the chat room that I think is totally worthwhile. I love it. Uh, Trevor, you're doing a great job over there. I will stop paraphrasing. So Trevor says, I guess what I was saying is with the combination, we see God progressively moving his ideal on slavery, like progressively moving people towards his ideal on slavery or bad treatment of women from violence, et cetera, to something more progressive and better. Do we see that with marriage or do we see Jesus and the rest of the New Testament reaffirming the original design? Man plus woman for life. There is a design and an intent. Yeah, I thought that was better clarity. <laughs>
3: So, I mean, I'm going to take the position that, yeah, I mean, we do see progress and we see movement all throughout the scriptures. I think the fact that Jesus goes back to the beginning to root us in what that original intent was doesn't mean we can't continue to expand our imagination. It's just reminding us of the full movement of the story. I think when we get to Paul, who's a little more explicit when it comes to some of these ideas around um, homosexuality, I think, again, we're rooting that within the context of the Greco-Roman Empire. I don't think he's necessarily talking about, you know, the broader expression of human love and human sexuality. So, you know, again, we can talk about the details of how we interpret those passages. But I think just the fact that Jesus roots things in the creation doesn't mean we go back to creation all the time as if nothing has happened in those intervening years. It's just a reminder of, hey, there's a long story. Go back to the beginning, read the story all the way through, understand what's happening. Um, Absolutely, I would affirm that, but I I don't think those points back to Genesis because, nothing points back we don't live anything in genesis we live out of the story of jesus right now so take it all in understand it all understand where god's coming from but continue the movement forward does that help
5: yes sure again i would love to hear your thoughts yeah, on your, the same your
3: wheels are spinning jeremy jeremy
4: <laughs> please Oh. Um, so yeah i mean I, I i agree with what jeremy just said i think um jesus is for sure inviting that i do i do see the sexuality thing a little bit different than a lot and so let's take a comparison uh which was in the question uh so you know the the view of women and so you could say well paul's really strict on women can't do this and this and obviously a lot of people have have made that argument but i look at how did jesus treat women well he was radically empowering of women and so again you go okay so that's all these things, I think you can look at the trajectory. And I agree. I don't think the, the, the goal is to go back to Genesis and like recreate something. I don't think at all. I I just think when it comes to sexuality, because again, if you go like that, Mark 10, passage I was talking about, um, Jesus keeps talking about, yeah. And if someone remarries after divorce, they've committed adultery and you're just like, Oh, like, I mean, that's just like one of those as a pastor, like I don't want to preach that passage because everybody who's been remarried in my church is like, wait, what you know, and it's just one of those. Like I just try to wrestle with that and go, man, that looks like if if you know this narrative is opening, opening, and he's like, oh, we're talking about sexuality, and like he he goes a different direction with it. So I'm trying to be as um, intellectually honest as I can with that, wrestling with that tension and acknowledging it's just a weird tension to me. Um, and I think you can uh, you know obviously argue against it, but I think you have to realize Jesus was in a he was in a cultural context as well. And, um, you know, he could have, ch- he challenged lots of things that <laughs> the Jews were doing. Uh, he didn't challenge this one. He didn't, he didn't, you know, uh, do anything there. And so I think there was opportunity. Paul obviously gets into it a number of places, but, um, I think for me, uh, it goes back to rather than trying to respond to every possible, uh, accommodating thing that could happen and not just in sexuality in general, uh, let's always go back to like, what is God calling us to, and i think with with each of these topics whatever you know whether it's women and, and you know ministry and that's a big one for us as well we have moved and said we really think that we got to be a church that's really inviting women to the table in radical ways that the church historically has not done because i see jesus doing that and i see the new testament writers doing it, and i see that as the the you know the narrative of that story um sexuality is just one of those that's a little different to me and and here's what I would say. And th- th- this, uh, this might get me in trouble. Um, if I could write my own theology, like Jesus is like, all right, it's up to you. What's <laughs> what's the verse going to say? Um, I'd be like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. Like if, if you want to, you know, be in a, a, a monogamous committed loving relationship, like I'm totally okay with it. And so I personally wrestle with, like, I kind of wish, that verse wasn't it. I kind of wish that answer was in it. I wish I had a different verse. And I just am honest with people about that. Like I have to wrestle with that. And, and, you know, I think there's people that resonate with that same tension. Maybe for you, you don't have that tension. You're like, no, I, I, I think you're out to lunch and I accept that as well. I'm probably <laughs> off on a lot of things. Well, I think that's trying to navigate that tension a little bit.
2: That's this, that's that spirit of the age conversation or, or question. So Jeremy Duncan Mm-hmm. With the view that you're taking, which I have respect for, and we have, you know, as Jesus Collective, we have a, a center on this that is uh, different than where you guys land. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this question maybe is being asked out of that. But if it's that sense of like, what then is the governing authority that keeps us from getting kind of engulfed completely in the spirit of the age? Mm-hmm. So, if the spirit of the age is is this today on um, this approach to the community in terms of uh, fully ordaining and sanctioning covenantal marriage, then the spirit of the age in 10 years might be polyamory, sure. or and then who knows, you know, people can take that to terrible extremes, and I've yep. heard those arguments. What's the governing authority then that checks us from getting swallowed up into the spirit of the age.
3: Yeah. I think the thing that I I keep coming back to is um, why, why do I follow Jesus? Is it so, um, that I can know exactly how to tell people what to do, what they shouldn't do, or these types of things? Or is it the Jesus who challenges me to be more generous, more kind, more inclusive, more loving all the time, and to do that in ways that, that are uncomfortable to me? And I think that's ultimately what I'm being brought to in Jesus. Now, if you want to get technical on a theological thing, my academic work is in René Girard, um, this whole idea that what we do as human beings is we scapegoat each other. Mm-hmm. we we imitate each other's desire that draws us into conflict with each other. And the way that we uh, alleviate or let out that tension is by dividing into an us and them. Mm -hmm. And everything about the Jesus story is about teaching us how to not need a them anymore. That's what I see at the whole heart of the gospel story. That's what I see happening on the cross is we make Jesus the other. And then Jesus says to us in that moment, I forgive you. I refuse to make you the other, even when you are crucifying me. And if that's my heart, like if that's the center of what Jesus does for me in terms of spiritual formation, well, that's going to play out in a lot of different ways. It's going to play out with my neighbors who come from a different religious background. It's going to play out with my neighbors who have a different sexual identity. It's going to play out with people who... I think different politically from it's going to mean that I'm going to shape a community that is fundamentally based around the idea that I do not need an other to define who I am. I don't need someone I'm against to know who I'm for. And that's what I'm trying to live out of. Now, I'm going to argue that that is the most countercultural thing that we could do anywhere. So you can say I'm giving into the spirit of the age by welcoming people. What I'm saying is I am, I am not drawing lines, I'm not making an other out of anyone, regardless of who they are. I refuse to give in to violence, I refuse to give in to othering and scapegoating. And in that, I am setting myself against all of the politic of the world to embrace an entirely different kingdom and commonwealth of God.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll yeah. just observe a moment of silence. <laughs> <laughs>
2: like... And, and wholehearted, ag- wholehearted agreement, you know, in the in in what you're saying in terms of like, what is the call of Jesus? um, And, and then maybe differences in where, where we all on this call are landing in terms of the application of that. Well,
3: and this is a good point because that also means that I, as much as I want to advocate for the LGBTQ community in my community, I also don't want to do that by scapegoating those who have a traditional view of things and saying that they're somehow bigoted or they're unloving. Now, I think there's, progress we need to make. I want to share my position and I want to help people see things in a new way. But if the way that I do that is to villainize and scapegoat them, then all have I done is I've allowed the adversary, you know, the Satan to gain control over me again and make me back into this process of who's in, who's out, who's the villain, who's the hero. And so this is an important piece for me as well. And for commons that we engage this conversation, we do it with conviction, but we not villainize anyone in the story. That's really important for me.
5: Okay, so we have time, one of our deeply held values with Jesus Collective is this relational idea, and this conversation, I mean, you can see the chat window, it is, we are thirsty for it, Mm -hmm. but we also want to honor and value that the breakout time that we have for these video chats, because that is where we meet other people and get to express this a little bit, and we've kept this conversation to the Q&A in the chat window. So we need to transition over there. But that, w- while I'm saying that, this is a deep apology to really high quality <laughs> questions that are in the chat <laughs> line that we are abandoning. This has been so much fun. Uh, so I, But I feel like we have to ask one more question before we go. Because we're leaving so many people hanging with really high quality questions hanging out there, could you both give one or two, like, favorite resources or organizations that have helped shape your thinking or your practice? Like, can you, can we give a couple of resources for next thoughts after this? It's terrible. stuff.
4: I'll say for me, um, uh, a guy named Preston Sprinkle has been very helpful. Uh, He has a whole centered, I forget what it was called, uh, Institute for for Sexuality and and
2: Gender,
4: and and, and really dives into a lot of these topics. And um, he wrote a book called People to be Loved um, that is, uh, in my opinion, a very uh, very objective look at this where uh, he wrestles with some of the theology of it. Um, but doesn't do so in a, obviously this is bad or, you know, uh, just really a nuance and allows perspective. And um, he does a number of gatherings all around the country. Uh, I don't, at least I know it's in the U S but we we had a gathering in Portland. I brought a bunch of our staff and he had a panel of people um, who are actually living all these different expressions of sexuality uh, to share their perspective and then to in conversation, do it. And I think, uh, you know, Jeremy was talking about that. You've got to connect these ideas to real people, not to ideas on paper. And so, I think anyone who's doing that, who is inviting real people to share real perspectives, and then uh, navigating that, uh, I'm incredibly grateful for. And Preston Sprinkle to me has just been an incredible resource. Um, and and he's always writing blogs and you know new things and uh, getting into polyamory and getting into all sorts of stuff of like how do we think about this? And and again, without jumping to of course it's this conclusion uh allowing the nuance allowing the the differing perspectives and so i would strongly recommend uh to anyone um uh, him as an option okay
3: yeah, I, I'm going to affirm uh, Preston as well, especially if you are on the traditional side and you kind of want to stay there. Preston does a fantastic job of opening you to the conversation and, and helping you be kind in, in it. So I think he's great. I'll give two more. Um, if you're already on the other side and you are more affirming and you're looking how to have conversations about it, I think Torn by Justin Lee is fantastic. It's really a book about how to engage the dialogue between uh, Christians and the LGBTQ community. So that's an excellent one. On the academic side, side of if maybe you want to think about these things and where do we come from from a hermeneutical and a biblical perspective i'm going to suggest david gushy is changing our minds it is an incredible resource a scholarly look at some of these issues and how to navigate them Um, as someone who's into biblical studies and and wants to look at those pieces so
2: so we have we have 10 minutes before we go into breakout rooms and and part of the goodness of what we're trying to do in Jesus collective it it, this is not the same as um, a content producing machine or media machine that just is about coming to get content we are wanting to be in connection and in relationship with each other this is the collective and that name is on purpose so part of these podcasts is that we take time at the end to connect and listen to each other and hear hear what we're hearing in the dialogue and get to know each other a bit. So be prepared. We're going to do that in about mm, eight or nine minutes. I want, I would love to have you guys help equip us in how to talk about this. Mm -hmm. So this is like, tell us what have you learned in how to talk about this? We have pastors on, on, who are watching and listening who haven't had the dialogue yet in their church. And they maybe don't, know how to start or would love some pointers or those who are um maybe wanting to sit and learn maybe we're not where you ended up either jeremy but how did you get there is just as important to them so what what would you guys say let's start with jeremy jaron again what would you say jeremy
4: one of the this is not about sexuality in particular but one of the the books that was pivotal for the way i do ministry and the way i navigate Uh, things like this is a guy named Richard Beck, wrote a book called unclean and he gets into the psychology of disgust. And what I realized in reading this book years ago was that so many of the ways that we um, other people, you know, you you are other than me is is through a disgust mechanism. I can't believe you could do that. I I don't know how you believe that. Um, And we, we use this disgust um, to justify uh, why it's okay to treat someone. Um, and, and other them. And as you know, Beck as a, as a Christian psychologist that, that really gets into it. And that book, that book changed the way I approach. Uh, whenever I look at someone, I go, I don't get it or I don't see it that way. or I don't, um, I'm always trying to be really cautious and aware of, is there any sense of disgust trigger happening in me because I don't resonate with them? And again, it's not just about sexuality, but it certainly applies to this conversation. And so for me, I think, um, creating space to say uh i love you even if we never agree on this and um one of the ideas i i, I preached a sermon recently that kind of became this pivotal thing for uh, our community um but you know we, i think we act as if we're all fragile in this culture now and it's especially true yeah. with american politics of if you believe something differently than me it's somehow uh, jeopardizes what I believe. And so I have to defend it and I have to rile myself up against you. And what I taught our church is like, I think the gospel is anti-fragile. And I think we see this in Jesus on the cross that, uh, you can't kill Jesus. He gets better. He gets stronger. He shows more power. Um, as he surrenders himself to death, that's the definition of, mm-hmm. of, uh, anti-fragile, right? Well, we are called to be that we can model that. And so we need not fear, Someone who disagrees with us, someone who sees it differently. Some, and, and so, again, I think if we were an anti-fragile community, um, we would know how to love really well in the midst of disagreements. And even if the disagreements were on a central, so go, wow, you don't yeah. see Jesus the way I do. Let's talk about that without any, any uh, animosity or anxiety. And so, to me, it's, it's a cultural philosophical approach to going, um, I cannot allow myself ever to feel disgust at another person. Uh, Beck argues that is a misappropriation of that, uh, feeling that that is, uh, not designed to be used on people, but we use it on people and then we, we make them the enemy. And, and so I think, uh, if you remove that and you remove the threat to, uh, someone disagreeing with us, all of a sudden you have so much space to have conversation. You have so much space to listen. And, uh, you know, one of the phrases that I, I love and I've heard, I've heard this, but listen longer than feels comfortable <laughs> and that's hard to do, but let someone keep going and go, okay, tell me more about that. You know? And you're going, Oh, I have a bazillion things I want to say. <laughs> tell me more, you know, and, and <laughs> every now and then I'll challenge our church like this week, go out, you know, have coffee with someone, uh, talk about something you disagree with them on and you can only ask them questions in the conversation. And people did it, and it was so hard for it's them. Important. Like, so if you're a Republican, go find a Democrat, and you only get to ask them questions. You don't get any rebuttals. But that, <laughs> like, culturally, begins to shape. Like, if we all just listened more, I, I think we'd look a lot more like Jesus.
5: Amen. Thanks,
2: Boom. It's good.
5: I just have a picture of what that might look like. Uh, it's like a game off of whose line is it anyway? That you can only do things in question form. <laughs> 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 it's like that's hysterical jernigan that that is i am absolutely finding that book that concept solves a ton of things oh good do it yeah,
3: I on my back there we go Ta-da! sorry Mom.
5: I'm All I'm doing is affirming the concept of unclean yep. and the fragility that causes so many problems in our conversations. I just, my mind is going to chew on that.
2: Go That's for that Difference between a uh, safe space and brave space. The mm. brave space is that yeah. kind of more hearty, like let's have the courage to do this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yep. No, I, I was actually going to say that before the mic went out. I love, I love that language that Jeremy's using there. I think it's really helpful. I think when it comes to having these conversations in community, um, I. I want to suggest, and again, I'll I'll put the caveat out there. I have never taken a church and moved them through to a new place. I started a community in a particular posture, and that's evolved, but that's different than sort of changing the dialogue. But if you're interested in that and you want to open that conversation, what I would say is before you get to a conversation about LGBTQ+, I would say there needs to be a prior conversation about what is at the center of our community. And the metaphor that we use a lot at Commons is, you know, the gravity at the center of the cross, that if the gravity of our faith is Christ, and we're all orbiting around Christ, then what might happen is at any given moment, Christ is the center and you and I might be here and here on opposite sides of our orbit. But if we trust each other, that we're circling around Christ, we're we're intending to be drawn in toward the center, then that, That trust and that affirmation of each other allows all kinds of disagreement with each other. But you need to sort of start to form what's our identity as a community. Our identity is Christ. Our identity is we're all circling around that in different ways. Therefore, we're going to disagree on all kinds of things. That's going to allow you to have all kinds of new conversations in healthy ways. The joke I always make is if I'm sitting on the bus beside a stranger and they don't like the music that I like, well then I don't want anything to do with them anymore because I have nothing drawing them together with me but if you and i both affirm you know the life death and resurrection of jesus which let's be honest here we believe some crazy stuff to believe that and if we both affirm that 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 is at the center of our story the center of identity then that should enable all kinds of discussion and warmth and graciousness towards each other and if you can get the community down that road then you can have the conversation about infant baptism and and creedal baptism or LGBTQ and heterosexual marriage, like all of these things, because they're framed in a different light. And I honestly, I think that's the most important thing, not where churches land, not how, not, not what discussion they have, but how they enter into those discussions.
2: Yes. I was on a a call today with one of our friends from uh, England, and he said the same thing. He said, if you want to increase the gravity in the solar system, make the Mm -hmm. sun bigger. Yeah. And, And that's what you're saying. You're saying, make the sun bigger, make Jesus bigger. If you want to increase the gravity that pulls us, that pulls us in. Yeah. So any, uh, any last thoughts, either of you, uh, as we, before we transition to breakout, uh, rooms on this point of how do we talk about talking about this?
3: Uh, My last thought would be find conversation partners who think about this differently than you do whether that is LGBTQ community, whether that is just people in your church. If you're on the affirming side, make sure you are listening to people who are in a more traditional view and why they're coming from that. And don't just assume that they're backwards or they're bigoted. Like understand that there's real reasons for that. If you're on the other side, then be listening to those people, hear their stories, not just their positions, but who they are as human beings. I think, I think if we could do that, we would have a much better um expression of christ in our communities and to be perfectly honest i think we would have a much better witness in our communities and cities um in terms of what christianity is about
4: it's good Uh, yeah amen to that um i i would go back to a couple of things we've already talked about one is um don't let these become ideas separate than people and so always connect them to people uh because it it grounds your theology in real time and anytime you make a theology apart from people uh you know then uh a lot of academic work. It's like you, you haven't lived this in community. I am more interested in ideas that work in real time with people. Um, I also think, uh, it takes a boldness wherever you land, um, to be willing to, um, almost to, to fight for others in in the name of love mm-hmm. and to say, I'm going to stand up for those who are getting, uh, ostracized on, on either end and, uh I'll, I'll close with one part of the conversation the lady that met with me uh my first month in mm-hmm. um the the pivotal line of the conversation is she looked at me and very sarcastically said you know sometimes uh the right thing to do is the hard thing to do
2: mm-hmm.
4: and basically implied the reason why I was going down the road I was going down is cuz I just didn't have a backbone and I yeah. couldn't you know say no and I <laughs> looked at her and I said sometimes the right thing to do is tell someone they need to leave your church And I just said, you need to leave. This is not a good fit for you. And I realized in that moment for me to create space for us to even have this conversation, I had to go toe to toe with her uh, because she didn't want that space to exist. And I think for those of us, especially in community, you have to be willing um, to get your hands a little dirty on behalf of others. And again, depending on where you land, it might be totally different conversations, but I think a willingness to go, no, we're going to create space. We're going to love people. And not everybody wants there to be space for this conversation. Not everybody wants there to be nuanced. And I think in real time, we got to be the champions of people and, uh, and whatever would threaten that.
3: Just a reminder if you go the other way you're not going to get less angry emails either. So I mean there's, <laughs>
5: there's no <laughs> way. To it. not, Another
3: when you talk about accommodating culture it's not like this got us off the hook with anyone so oh right. well.
5: <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, we are going to say thank you. I wish we could uh, hear the claps and the gratitude from the chat rooms but you can see it there. This has been incredibly Helpful. And it just makes me thirsty to head into the break rooms as well, breakout rooms, because I know we want to talk about it. I know we're not done with the conversation, but Jeremy and Jeremy, (laughs) thank you so much for uh, creating a brave space here to use the language, Uh, an incredibly brave space. This was inspiring.
0: Thanks for listening. And hey, don't forget to check in at JesusCollective.com where you can learn more about us, join our mailing list, find info about upcoming online and in-person events, all that good stuff. Or you can find us on social media too. And listening is such an important part of our journey, especially in these early days. So you can feel free to reach out to us with ideas and feedback and suggestions. You can always connect with us by email at connect at JesusCollective.com.
2: We'd love to hear from you.